Keep your Bibles open uh, at Ephesians chapter 2 as I speak from that, just so that you can check uh, that what I'm saying is actually in the Bible. Uh, But before we uh, come to that, let's pray and let's talk to God. Uh, God, we pray uh, that as we come to your word now, uh, that you would speak to us, uh, that we would have ears which are um, ready to hear, uh, hearts which are ready to change. uh, And God, we pray that we would be open to your Holy Spirit at work in us. Um, Teach us, we pray, uh, and God, help us to to engage with this uh, and to think about how this this works out uh, in our everyday lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, As we come uh, to look at this passage in Ephesians, uh, I want you to think about a time when you thought that was just so alien to me. And that might be for a number of reasons. Sometimes it can be because you're just a bit out of the loop. Quite often I'll be with a group of friends and they'll maybe be talking about uh, movie references or TV shows and generally when it comes to movies, I just don't have a clue what's going on. Their conversation is totally alien to me. But you can also feel alienated because you've been excluded. And maybe some of you have seen this uh, happen, and this is uh, something which is uh, quite sad to see, but where someone's maybe had some family drama, and over time, they start then to feel alienated from the people that they're related to. They've been pushed away again and again until they virtually feel like strangers as they pass by in the street. And why do I mention this? Well, because Ephesians 2 is all about alienation. Last week, Josh walked us through verses 1 to 10, which begins by showing us how human beings are alienated from God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins and by nature, objects of wrath. And that passage made it super clear how helpless our situation was before Christ. And now here in the second half then, of Ephesians, it begins by showing, of Ephesians chapter two, sorry, it begins by showing us how human beings are alienated from each other too. Now let me give you the structure of where we're going with this before we get stuck into the text, so you can see it on the screen there. And in one sense, it's remarkably similar to what Josh outlined last week. So basically, it starts with what we were before Christ, it finishes with what we are in Christ now, And in between, we get another one of these really significant but nows. It's what Josh would call the baboon verse 2.0. And if you don't understand that, you can ask him rather than asking me. Um, So verse 11, it begins with our situation formerly. So remember what you were before Christ. Remember what you were before Christ. Sorry, I need to change my hands so that you can see where it's going. Verse 13, then it's but now. Okay, so this has somehow changed because of what Christ has done, okay? And then verse 19, consequently. So, consequently, because of this, because of what has happened in the but now, your status in Christ has changed. Okay, so first point. What we were, we were an alienated humanity. So, a number of uh, months ago, sorry, we're a good few slides on now, that wasn't very clear from me. Um, But a number of months ago, maybe even a year ago now, I'm not really sure what the timeline was, uh, but we preached through the life of Abraham in our evening services. And now, for those of you who are familiar with that story, you might recall that God gave him this great gospel promise that his descendants would become a kingdom with which God would bless. And it was through this covenant community then, the Jews, 
that God would choose to reveal himself to the whole world. They were chosen to be a light to the nations. But that's not how the Jews saw it. See, over time, instead of recognizing the great privilege that they had been to be chosen as this nation which God would reveal himself to the whole world through, they just became prideful of it. That's what happened over time. And as a result, there was this huge division and this hatred between the Jews and everyone else around them, which we know as the Gentiles. So that's the context of our passage. That's what he showed in the children's address too. And if we're going to see this big Ephesians 1 vision of everything being united under Christ then, this long-standing barrier between Jews and Gentiles would need to be broken down. So let's turn to our text then. And verse 11, we see this talk of the Jews calling the Gentiles the uncircumcised. Now, what is that all about? Well, without going into too many details, uh, the Jewish men who were part of this covenant community, they were given a sign of the promise called circumcision. And essentially, the purpose of this sign was to say, remember the covenant that I have made with you. Remember the covenant that I have made with you. But again, this just became another thing that the Jews took pride in. And so they began to rather scornfully refer to the, the Gentiles as the uncircumcised. They forgot the purpose of it completely. And actually, they seemed to forget the challenging words of the prophets as well, who asked whether this outward sign was reflecting an internal reality of their heart, whether they were circumcised in the heart. They didn't experience the spiritual reality of being cut off from sin, and they weren't truly part of this covenant community. Instead, it just became this act to be proud of for them. They looked down on the Gentiles, they were hostile to them, and instead of being a light which they were called to be, they left the Gentiles in the dark. And now, while this hostility was unfounded, it was just based on cultural pride, really, there were other very real ways in which the Gentiles were alienated from this community. And that's what we see there in verse 12. And as we read this, let's be clear, we are that group of Gentiles. And so this isn't just about who they were without Christ. This is about who we are without Christ too. And what we see in verse 12 is this five-fold hopelessness. Look with me at verse 12 to see these five things. Firstly, we were without Christ. So it was the people of Israel who awaited this promised Messiah. He was coming from their line of descendants. He was the fulfillment of the promises which were made to them. And as for the Gentiles, well, they were none the wiser. They were without Christ. And secondly, they were, as it says, excluded from the citizenship in Israel. So the Gentiles, they were without a people as well. They were without Christ and they were without a people they weren't part of this community by birth, and they weren't welcomed into the community. The Jews didn't reach out to them, and so they were alienated from God's people. Thirdly, as it says, we were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. So we were without the promise. The great gospel promise that God had given to Abraham was for Abraham's descendants, God's covenant community. And while the promise was always intended to extend to the nations, the Gentiles didn't know it. And so they were without a promise. And forth then, we were without hope. That's not to say that they didn't set their hope on lots of other things. We knew that too well. 
but we were, without, we were once without the hope because we did not know or trust in Christ. We're going to sing this soon, so I hope that you know what the answer is. But what is our only hope in life and death? Christ alone, okay? That was much less engagement than I was anticipating, I won't lie. <laughs> Maybe we should have done it before the sermon called. <laughs> but why is that? Why is he our only hope in life and death? Because he can change the most devastating of these five realities. The last one in verse 12, to be without God. Many of us are familiar with the catechism, and in that, test number two, what do we learn is man's chief end? Yes, Colin, thank you. It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. See, without God, we have no purpose. We have lost our purpose as human beings. That was the reality for these Gentiles. It was the reality for any of us before we knew or trusted Christ. And it continues to be the reality for anyone outside of Christ still today. If the first half of Ephesians 2 was to show our helplessness before Christ, then this second half is to show us our hopelessness. We were without Christ, without a people, without the promise, without the hope, and without God. And I thankfully, Jesus turns this around from verse 13 on. But as we consider these two verses of verses 11 and 12, I want us to be mindful of what went wrong here. And I think there's two main things. So the Gentiles, they weren't left hopeless because they weren't circumcised or because they'd been left out of temple worship. They were hopeless because they did not have their trust in Christ. So your baptism or church attendance or family don't count for anything unless you have your trust in Christ. He is our hope. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And as we look on at our next point, we'll see a bit more of that. But the second problem before we get to that is in how the Jews responded to this great privilege that they had. And this part, I think, is deeply challenging for us. They were given these promises and the law and all of these blessings to be a light to the nations. And they were entrusted to show people who their God is. That was the purpose. And instead, they turned their noses up at the heathens around them. Paul tells the Gentiles here in verse 11, and that's us, remember, he says to remember where we came from so that we don't get prideful. And that was the problem of the Jews too. As we look around at our neighbors who do not yet know Jesus, whether they are of the same people group as you or not, we are called as believers to be a light to them, to let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When we grasp where we came from as Gentiles, when we grasp that, we should be trying to take down any barrier which might, people, which might keep people outside of the community. And that might strip us of some of our traditions or some of our comforts or some of our preferences. But it's part of the call and the immense privilege that it is to go and make disciples of all nations. And importantly, in that we will not be stripped of the gospel. Because as we'll see from the rest of the passage, it is Jesus who has supernaturally made it possible for this kind of gathering, this kind of community to get together. You were an alienated humanity, 
but that is not the end of the story in Christ. Have a look with me at verse 13. But now, and here's the turning point, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Here's the game changer for us Gentiles. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. In other words, because of Jesus' death in your place, paying the price for your sins, you have been welcomed into this community. It's not on the basis of this community just suddenly getting a lot nicer and saying, come on in. It's not based actually on a horizontal level at all. It's because Jesus has made a way to God through his perfect life and sacrificial death. He has, as verse 16 puts it, reconciled us to God through the cross. We are made right with God in Christ. And it's on that basis, that vertical basis, that he puts to death the horizontal hostility. That's pretty amazing truth. We started with this call in verse 11 to remember our situation before Christ as Gentiles. And I'd imagine that the therefore in verse 11 is to also point us back to verses 1 to 10 and remember our situation not just as Gentiles but as sinful human beings. And when we do remember those things, anyone reading them should say that we are helpless and hopeless without Christ. And for that reason, then we have no grounds for hostility towards one another. But it's not even that. Look again at verse 15. Look with me at verse 15. In Christ, we are brought into an entirely new humanity. It says his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. So let's think for a second about those two men. See, we all have our traditions and our cultures, don't we? And we carry with those a sense of pride. See, let's just take this example. See, one man might be from a culture which is very time-oriented, and really you have to apologize if you're more than about 30 seconds late. But then for the other man, he's from a culture which is more relationally focused, and events happen whenever everyone shows up and they finish when everyone leaves. That's just a very cultural difference. And yet both of the groups can look down on the other group then for what, they, for what their core value is there. See, person one says that the other is so shallow and self-centered, while person number two argues that the other, well, they're not very um, considerate of my oh-so-precious time. And that's just one example. Every person has these traditions and their cultures that are very different from one another. And whenever they think about those cultures and those traditions or their skill sets or their values or whatever they do, they always bring them in comparison to others. And inevitably, what it leads to is us looking down on other people for them. For the Jews, they got puffed up by having so many regulations and ceremonies, and so they looked down on the Gentiles for not being part of those. And the Gentiles, well, they were equally bad in that they looked back and they said, well, those people are pretty up themselves. These people, like many of us, had their identity rooted in their traditions, in their family, in their privilege, in their work ethic, in their intelligence, whatever it might be, constantly comparing them to others. And yet Paul says, for those of us in Christ, we have a new identity. 
and we have been brought into a new humanity. This isn't just two groups squished together, but an entirely new group created, built on the foundation that Christ has lavished his love on them, and he has reconciled them to God, and so reconciled them to each other. Each of you united in Jesus, and therefore, verse 18, with access to the same Father by the work of the same Spirit. Now, I want you to imagine, just for a second, that the king of Israel has two sons. I'm not even sure if there is a king of Israel or if he has children, but let's imagine it for two minutes. And because these children are royalty, they're very posh, as you'd expect, and you might even go as far to say as they're a little bit pretentious. And in fact, they're not particularly nice to each other, and they're not very nice to any other kids that they meet. And one day, this king, he goes out to visit a local orphanage, and he thinks about his kids, and then he looks at these boys in the orphanage, and his heart aches. And then to everyone's surprise, just a few months later, he adopts one of the boys there. Now, you can imagine how overwhelming this would be for the boy from the orphanage, and how uncomfortable he would feel arriving to this grand palace in his beaten-up clothes. But as he enters, his father clothes him just like his other sons, and he sat at, he sat at the dinner table with the whole family. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? He gets the same privileges because now he has the same father. He didn't know about life in this house before. It was totally alien to him. But now he is family. And while the boys might have turned up their noses before at this orphan, thinking he deserved less than them, well, now they call him their brother. And it's not because any of them have done anything to deserve being part of this family but it's because they call this king their father. We are reconciled to each other because we have been reconciled to the king. Finally then, as we move on to verses 19 to 22, Paul moves to what we are becoming in Christ. We are being reconciled as members of the church. Verse 19, it begins consequently, or so then, and so this should be an outworking then of what it looks like to have been reconciled to God in Christ Jesus from verses 13 to 18. And what he says is that you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens and God's people and members, fellow citizens with God's people, sorry, and members of God's household. So almost always in the Bible, whenever uh, we have a no longer, then it's followed by a but now. Or whenever we're told to put off one thing, then we're told to put on another. It's a replacement rule. And so it is here. We are no longer foreigners and aliens. We are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. So we belong now. We are part of God's family if we are in Christ. And we're transformed. We don't live as aliens and orphans, but we live as citizens and sons or daughters. Our passports have been stamped, if you will, by the king's blood. And so we're no longer primarily British or Irish or Romanian or whatever we might be. We are primarily Christians. And we have a citizenship in heaven which is secured for us. 
But as Richard Cookin put it, and I quite like this, we're currently just off traveling on gospel business on this earth. We have been welcomed in as members of the church. And the implications of this passage is that our churches have an opportunity to be a showcase for the world to see the reconciliation which Christ can bring about. That we should long to see this beautiful diversity of people gather in our churches from all different classes and cultures and races because this diversity has an opportunity to be an exaltation of the work of Christ. They can look at it and say, this is how much Christ can reconcile. And all of this, it shouldn't mean that we lose our message or become wishy-washy to seem attractive. No, Paul says, he describes the church as having an unchanging foundation. It's as verse 20 says, it's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So that foundation that he talks about is the gospel of Christ crucified. This is the message that the prophets and the apostles proclaimed. It's the message on which the church was built then. It's the message which the church is built today. It is the message that we proclaim. The scriptures are our foundation in this church. And in that, Jesus himself is the cornerstone. Well, what does that actually mean, Scott? What even is a cornerstone? Well, this is the stone which gave the building its shape. And so it was the most crucial piece on which all of the other stones were built around it. And so here we're getting another glimpse of this big message of Ephesians that everything is going to be united under Christ. He is the key part. He is the one which unites and holds together the church. And so while we will actively try to remove any tradition or cultural barriers that we can, we rest on the gospel of Christ crucified. Because as verse 21 says, it is in him that the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It's an odd image, but Paul is saying, you guys are temple stones. And I can't imagine anyone walking out there being like, he said I was a temple stone, but follow with me. This is the image that he gives. These stones in the temple, in the temple, they were skillfully carved together, that they fit it perfectly together, and they could join together to support the weight of another layer of stones. They are built layer upon layer of each other. And that is a beautiful picture of the church that he gives us. We have been crafted together to show the world Christ's work. We are sinfully resistant material to work with. But his purpose is to carve away at us and to make us into a holy temple that God would live in by his spirit and transform us from within. He plans to come and dwell in us by his spirit. And so he will break away some of those barriers which keep people without, outside of our community. So three short applications to finish. We have been welcomed into this family of God because of what Christ has done. We talked about that. You're no longer excluded, no, other, no longer far off because of what Christ has done. He has torn the curtain in two, and you have been welcomed in. And so the call then is to love these people well that you have been joined together with. Consider your role as temple stones. And ask yourself, do you come alongside others in that very close and special way which is pictured here? 
It'll probably look like more than just the odd Sunday attendance. It'll take you to really come alongside them regardless of the different things that they might hold as their core values, regardless of the class or culture or race that they come from. Love these people well despite the differences. And second then, we are built on the foundation of the scriptures. So this is bold of me to say from the pulpit, but listen carefully to the teaching. Keep your Bibles open to see that what we're saying is actually from the Bible. Get to know and love God's word as part of that because that is what our church is built on. The gospel should always be our foundation and Christ our cornerstone. And then finally, you are being constructed as a dwelling place for God by his spirit. So be holy in the way that you behave. However may painful, let him carve away at that sin. Let him disarm your prejudices towards others. Let him form in you this warm welcome which invites people in and this selflessness towards others. Let him shape and mold you into the likeness of Christ that you might love God and love others more and more. That is what it looks like to be holy, to love God and to love others. And as the world looks on at our churches, may they exalt the mighty work of Christ which has made this possible. Here's the summary if we shorten those verses down. Remember that formerly you were excluded or alienated But now in Christ Jesus, you have been brought near, for he himself is our peace. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people. Let's close in prayer. God, we are so grateful for you sending Jesus to make a way for us to be in relationship with you. That while we were once far off, in him we are no longer. And God, we recognize that we haven't done anything to deserve a place at your table, but it's through your love that you have welcomed us in. And so we stand as equals with each other before you, equally sinful and equally loved. Thank you that in Christ we are welcomed into the same family and that we can be reconciled to each other on the basis that we have the same Father, the same Spirit, the same Savior, Jesus would we be challenged to tear down our traditional and cultural barriers as much as we can, that others might come to see the gospel of Jesus and be welcomed into this family. This is a special and beautiful message that you've given us. And so thank you for speaking it to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.